0: Hello, and welcome to this podcast presented by the Southern Alberta Council on Public Affairs.
1: Good afternoon to all of you. Good afternoon to all of you. Can you all hear me? Great. Okay. Uh, I want to welcome you all to the SACPA Luncheon. And uh, would you please turn off your cell phones? I am Bertha Teamstra. I belong to the Harambee Grandmas, uh, which is uh, a mothers, grandmother's group under the Stephen Lewis Foundation. And uh, I also want to announce, I'm your moderator, I also want to announce that this session will be recorded. If you haven't, please pay the $11 in the basket on your table and someone can maybe take charge of that. Um, SACPA is a volunteer nonprofit organization in its 48th season and contributions of members and session attendees help cover the expenses and memberships can be purchased and renewed from SACPA's administra- administrative manager Annalise Venors. We also want to thank partners. The University of Lethbridge for support and distribution of notices, Country Kitchen Catering for great lunches, Shaw TV Channel 9 for broadcasting sessions several times weekly, including nightly at 7 p.m., CKXU 88.3 FM Radio Live, and Lethbridge Herald as well as other media covering these events. The meeting will... I will introduce our speaker. She will speak, and then we will have a half an hour break for lunch, and then after that, another half hour for questions. So during her presentation, if you have questions, write them down, or if uh, with your name on it, or we will have mics mics up for you to do that. Now I would like to introduce our speaker for this afternoon, or this noon hour. And this is, she was... Um, resides in Calgary, but she was raised in Saskatchewan and reminds me again that she is a Rough Riders fan. <laughs> <laughs> she, studied, she studied nursing and has been in the, in the health care system for 30 years. She was first introduced to Africa in 1999 for a wonderful safari And then she's been back four times for humanitarian projects in Uganda mostly, I believe. And she joined the Stephen Lewis Foundation in 2007. Her heart is with the Grandmothers of Africa. Stephen Lewis is the the organization which supports the grassroots projects that help these grandmothers. she is also the liaison between the Stephen Lewis Foundation and all the g- different grandmother groups. And I'm not sure how many there are in southern Alberta. Across Canada, there's 230. There's 40 in southern Alberta. Okay? <laughs> anyway, whatever. Um, and we really, really appreciate her support. I would like to introduce to you now Louise Bredner.
0: Ah, that's much better. Thank you very much, Bertha. And thank you so much to SACPA. I want for some reason, I want to call you SAPka. <laughs> but I apologize for that for inviting us here today. It's a real honor to have this opportunity to create some visibility related to what we are doing. Uh, regarding HIV-AIDS in Africa, especially grandmothers. Also, I'd like to thank the Harambee grandmas that are based here in Lethbridge for uh, inviting me and arranging this uh, with SAP. Sorry, it's a new term for me. So we will get going because we understand we have time constraints. So The reason we're here is to talk about the Stephen Lewis Foundation, the the nature and the scope of the pandemic in the world globally, but especially in sub-Saharan Africa, what's being done about it, and also the impact on the society, uh, the various societies of the various countries that are impacted by this. So first of all, the Stephen Lewis Foundation first got involved because there were so many people that were being ravaged and countries, frankly, ravaged by this pandemic. And the whole intent was to go in and try to ease the pain, provide funding to grassroots projects to ease the pain and help people die, frankly, because that's what was happening in the early 2000s. Since then, we have seen a transformation in the projects that are funded by the Stephen Lewis Foundation, and the focus now is more on turning the tide, getting into some prevention strategies so that this doesn't continue happening for the next 40 years. No guarantees, but We do what we can. The Grandmothers Movement started in 2006, started with three groups uh, based in the East, and we're now 240 groups across Canada, up to 10,000 women involved in this movement. And we raise funds for the Stephen Lewis Foundation, which goes to the grandmothers in Africa who are raising their orphan grandchildren due to AIDS. I see a few, um, shall we say, mature people in the audience. How many of you are grandparents? Hands up. There you go. So I'm definitely speaking to the right audience uh, who can perhaps relate a little bit. Imagine yourself with maybe eight or ten children to take care of, to raise them every day, to walk for water three kilometers, go and scrounge for firewood. And that is the reality for tens of thousands, perhaps hundreds of thousands of grandmothers in Africa today, and in other countries likely as well. So when the Grandmothers Movement started, the Canadian grandmothers made a promise to the African grandmothers Our pledge was, we will not rest until you can rest. And I don't believe we can rest for a while yet, given the reality of what continues to be going on. So just a bit about Stephen Lewis. How many know Stephen Lewis in the room, or of him? Okay, fair number of you, thank you. So Stephen was a Canadian ambassador to the United Nations for a few years. Um, And then he went on to become the UN envoy for HIV AIDS in Africa from 2001 to 2006. And that was really when the pandemic was at its peak. And he saw unbelievable things. He would come home and cry, he says, for days because he couldn't believe what he was seeing. So he came home and decided that he had to do something. So in 2003, he founded the Stephen Lewis Foundation, and he went to New York. His daughter Elana Lewis Landsberg is um, was a human rights lawyer in New York, and he went to New York and said, "Come home, honey. I need you." And she is the executive director of the foundation. Stephen himself is now 76. He's still going strong. He travels to Africa regularly. He's very involved, but uh, the day-to-day workings of the foundation are run by his daughter, Ilana. The foundation supports or provides support to 300 grassroots organizations. So we're not over there telling the africans that this is the way they should be doing things they know what needs to be done in fact in order to receive funding from the stephen lewis foundation they have to be doing something so they may there may be people of course ill and dying in africa most people don't don't die in the hospital they die at home so uh, a lot of communities have struggled to care for these sick people, so they've informally got organizations going, and then made proposals to the Stephen Lewis Foundation for more funding. So that's how they get approval: is they have to have something in place. So they cur- they fund some 300 organizations and. 1,100 initiatives. So by that, I mean they might be called in first to maybe help with funding home-based care to take care of the dying. Then they realize that there's kids in that home and the kids aren't in school. So, okay, the school fees, the uniforms, the shoes... Then they realize those kids aren't eating. They're going to school, but there's no food in the house. So they introduce a a feeding program for those children. Then they realize that the grandmothers who are caring for their sick daughter and trying to, to manage the children are absolutely overwhelmed. So then they set up perhaps a support system for the grandmothers about how they can get support from each other. What do you do in this circumstance? You know, grandmothers who say to each other, my granddaughter has AIDS. At what age should I tell her that? Like, can you imagine that? So it's providing that kind of peer support, music, singing. They do it all in order to get them through So that's what we mean by initiatives. There might be only 300 organizations, but there's several initiatives in each one of those organizations. The funds flow directly to the hands of the people in the community. Stephen Lewis Foundation is not a big organization. It's got about 35 staff in Toronto. I've been in the offices, the floors creak, the furniture doesn't match. the elevator doesn't work most days and uh, it's very very humble because uh, Stephen believes very very strongly that the money needs to go to Africa. So funding, there's no government funding. Uh, Sometimes with some of the government uh, grants there's strings attached and they want the flexibility of being able to give money to the organizations for what those organizations want to deliver. So there's no government funding. Most of the funding comes from regular folks like you and me, uh, with, you know, a $50 check here and a $100 check there, and that's how the money comes in. And then, of course, the grandmothers are helping out quite a lot across the country. (coughs) So the foundation operates in 15 countries, and the countries run from South Africa up the eastern side of the continent. So this this is the most ravaged area relative to HIV/AIDS in Africa. Are those countries that run right along the coast, going all the way up to Ethiopia and Sudan? Uh, Ebola that we've all fa- that we're all familiar with these days is happening in this area on the West. So luckily the projects have not been impacted by Ebola to date, in case any of you are interested. So a few facts. As of UNAIDS report dated twenty twelve, every day 4,400 people continue to die of HIV-AIDS globally around our world. 180 people per hour, 24-7, seven days a week. And how much of it do we see on the news? Right? 2.3 million new infections per year globally again. Now, both these numbers... It's about a 30% drop in the last 10 years prior to that. So there, rea- there are improvements. When I first started doing these talks in 2007, it was 6,000 people a day, globally. So there, there are some good things happening, but it's still very daunting. So, 60 million people in the past 25 years have been infected, and half have died. And 70 percent of all this is happening in sub-Saharan Africa. And we could get into the reasons for that, but you'll have to invite me back, <laughs> because it uh, there's there's it's complicated. There's many reasons. If we have time in the Q and A, I'd be happy to to um, address that one. So, currently, about 23 million people in sub Saharan Africa living with the virus. And 17 million orphans, half the population of Canada. Isn't that absolutely mind boggling? So, um, unbelievable challenges, but again, you can't look at the whole thing because you wouldn't do anything, you'd be paralyzed. So you have to look at one little project and work on it and improve it and then move on to the next one. So it's doable, but uh, it's got a ways to go. So, what is the impact on children when their parents are sick and dying. So think about parents and what your role is as a parent. You're a teacher, you're a counselor, you're a comforter, you're a nurse, you're a role model, right? And there's probably many other adjectives. So think about the parents disappearing. There are some countries, um, Swaziland and uh, Lesotho, I believe, who had 30% incidence of HIV-AIDS. This is back in the early 2000s. 30% of their 18 to 45 population were infected. It almost, some of the countries almost collapsed, but luckily that didn't happen. But you can only imagine the impact on a society that is so ravaged. So what happens to the kids? Well, first of all, the girls usually have to stay home and take care of mom or dad if they're, if they're sick. Uh, they can become infected, and that happens with the grandmothers as well, right? If they've got an open wound and they're dealing with bodily fluids, they could become infected. Absent role models, we talked about that. Who do you go to for advice and modeling? Discrimination by community and family. So what sometimes happens is in several of the countries, polygamy is widely practiced. So there might be more than one wife. And uh, so the one mother dies and her children are then passed on to the other wife. And she may not like them because she's already got six of her own. So uh, oftentimes those kids get discriminated against and ostracized. And uh, if they're lucky, they end up with grandma. Uh, Forced to fend for themselves. So as teenagers, you know, they'll start getting into sex work uh, because they're desperate. They have to eat. Uh, Lack of food, health care, low medication compliance. A lot of these kids, some of them, um, and probably way more than I'll ever know, are infected. They've been infected at birth or they were infected uh, by being near their parents or whoever's dying. So there might be on ARVs, the medication that you take, but you have to take it at certain times of the day. And if there's nobody overseeing you, especially as teenagers, your compliance drops right off in terms of taking that medication, right? And the efficacy, of course, goes down. And girls, of course, are the ones that are most affected because a lot of that is cultural, right? The, the, the women typically, typically I say, because it's not always the case, are, uh, are subservient to the men. Many child-headed families. And here we have orphans in school. And, of course, the programs that are funded by Stephen Lewis uh, offer these kinds of things to the students. Grieving support, feeding, life skills training, peer support groups. So a lot of the peers help them with... um, going through their personal problems, because sometimes kids don't want to talk to adults. We think some of us have met a few of those. So they help each other, and they're trained by these programs on how to help their peers. School provides them with a sense of belonging, and believing perhaps that maybe they can become a mechanic, or maybe they can become a A pilot. It's funny, some of the little kids, that's what they want to be. They see a plane in the air, and they want to be a pilot. And then we have the grandmothers. It's estimated that about 60% of the orphans are cared for by their grandmothers. Stephen Lewis calls them the backbone of Africa, or the unsung heroes of Africa. He feels that the continent would have collapsed without grandmothers. And the grandmothers, of course, have no time to rest or grieve, for that matter. So some support for them, how to care for their dying children, and providing them with the supplies to do that, gloves, um, disposable stuff so that they're again reducing their chances of being infected themselves. And that's proven to be so important and a lot of the grandmothers have not become infected because that, that's been provided. Peer support groups again, garden seeds, home repairs. some of these grandmothers have horrible homes and the leaky roofs and you name it so again some of the money goes to fix their houses and a big one here training and advocacy in human rights so the grandmothers have really in the last few years been transformed from victims to change agents and some of them have risen from the ashes so to speak and become incredibly strong advocates where they are now taking on their local governments, they're marching in cities to get rights for themselves and for their grandchildren. It's really a sight to behold and uh, as a grandmother involved in this movement, I'm so proud that we've been able to provide the funding for that training to happen so that they themselves can take control and they can use their voices to amplify what their concerns are, or where, th- where their rights are being abused. In several countries, there are statutes about human rights. But they're sitting in a binder in the government offices in the, in the capital city of that country and haven't been dusted off for years. So it's wonderful that these grandmothers are, are holding them to task. The grannies worry, how do I keep them safe, especially when the kids get to be adolescents because they're terrified that they're going to get infected. And what will happen to them when I die, they say, right? And the grandmothers say, we don't need a great deal, but we do need enough. So the campaign, I've talked a bit about it. Since 2006, we have raised $21 million for the Stephen Lewis Foundation. And all of that has gone to the grandmothers in Africa. 10% uh, admin fees or administration costs at the Stephen Lewis Foundation, which is very low when you compare it to a lot of organizations as far as overhead. So it's very low. Mandate for the grandmothers is to fundraise so that, uh, again, we think of our sisters over there, to build solidarity. And as such, the foundation sends a group of grandmothers every two or three years to, um, to visit projects at their expense. Like None of this is done with donor money. The grandmothers who are going have to do fundraising for their travel and their expenses while they're over there. So again, um, there shouldn't be uh, an assumption that donor money is used for any of that. The Stephen Lewis Foundation does all its travel on air miles. They don't pay donated air miles. And of course, to create awareness. And we grandmothers don't claim to be Mother Teresa at all. But we love this quote. We can do no great things, only small things with great love. And in Africa, a little goes a long way. You can buy a mosquito net for $5. So it's amazing how much, um, how much difference you can make without that much money. And Stephen Lewis states, his, this is my favorite quote of his, there is no nobler cause than helping another human being, especially one who can never repay you. So that completes my my formal presentation. I still have five minutes. Okay, so um, I guess I would urge you to think about um, considering the Stephen Lewis Foundation in your annual giving plans. And also think about supporting the Harambee grandmas here in Lethbridge. They have travel talks every couple of months. The next one is on January the 29th, and it's going to be on Argentina. And they get somebody who's traveled there. They're with fabulous photos, and uh, it's, I don't think there's a cost. You just give a donation when you go, and it's at SACA, is it? It's CASA. CASA. <laughs> See, I get that acronym wrong, too. CASA. (laughs) So I would encourage you to think about attending those. Um, They've also got other events happening throughout the year, so watch your calendar. There's a tremendous new film that's come out that um, they're hoping to share with the public, and it's called a tribunal film, and it's uh, Seeking Justice at the Front Lines, and it features six women who came to Vancouver last year to testify at a tribunal in front of 1,200 people, six women from these villages who stood up there and told their stories and talked about how their rights were being abused and how they wanted to make it right. And this, there were four judges that gave recommendations so the governments would do a better job and so on. But this film, it's a 45-minute film, and I know the girls are planning on showing it to the public, and I really hope you'll take advantage. It's a great human rights story, and it shows how people over there are not just victims. They're phenomenal giants in my eyes to have done what they did in front of all those people. And Gloria Steinem was actually one uh, one of the judges. So it was a very, very impressive day. Some of us went from from Calgary for it, and it was a tremendous opportunity. So on that note, uh, I think we will close for now, and uh, we'll chat after lunch. Thank you so much for your attention.
1: Thank you, Louise. And uh, now is time for lunch, but I think during our lunchtime, discuss what you've seen, what you've heard, and uh, we'll have a mic open for questions afterwards that you can come to, or if you don't want to, you can write it down with your name and, and I will read the question. So enjoy your lunch. You have a half an hour for lunch.